Let's get out to the zone phone. Joining us now, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, the one, the only, David Locke. David, what's going on? You know, every time you say that, someone's like, thank goodness. <laughs> There's only one. So Thank goodness. Could you imagine? My parents only had one for a reason, so the society didn't need more than one, so they stopped. You do understand your own uniqueness uh, or peculiarity, right, David? Uh, you, uh, that's good self-awareness. You know that you're unique, right? I have to live with it every day. <laughs> uh, David, let's start with last night's game. Uh, Gordon uh, was just talking about how he thought that that was a really big game, really important win for the Utah Jazz. What are you taking from last night's victory? <laughs> They needed to change the narrative around them. You know, it's not wasn't a big deal, but they'd lost four. Like, I, asked, I thought it was interesting. I asked Ron Boone on the broadcast after the loss to the Warriors, like, if do they think they're one and one since the All-Star break, or do they think they've lost four of six? And he goes, oh, they think they've lost four of six. Like, as a player, you're aware of the fact you've lost four of six. So if that's the case, since they hadn't lost four in, like, 30 games, they just needed to change the narrative around them, and that's a really good win last night. Now, you know, who Boston is and, and how good they are might not match up to their name value and the way they're perceived as a former Eastern Conference champion but or Eastern Conference finals. But from a Jazz standpoint, that's a, that's a really good win in that it changes the narrative around them. Now, you know, go play, you know, see what you can do with a Bradley Beal tomorrow without Russell Westbrook out there and – and see if we can go grab a second one, and then can you, you know, back to back to Tampa, Florida is a little, un, you know, unusual travel-wise. You're really playing three games in four nights, and you're all over the map. So I don't know whether or not that's, you know, in, in Toronto is so fast and so athletic. I can't imagine playing a worse team on a back end of a back-to-back than Toronto. But maybe, like, you know, and then all of a sudden you've won three in a row, and you're back to being the number one seed in all the power. Well, probably behind Brooklyn, number two. Uh, in all the power rankings, and so you you feel good about yourself again. So, you know, I think they just need to re. At some point, they have to regain a little bit of that feeling of that magic around them. They had one or two possessions last night that were reminiscent of it. Rudy was completely dominant. Um, they moved the ball late. They had multiple different types of possessions. Um, ironically, their best possession was a shot that was missed, not a shot that was made. But they um, they showed some of the signs of the things that made them very good uh, before that. I thought it was interesting that it was kind of revealed that Quinn had talked to both Donovan and Jordan because I thought they both had skewed too much into the one-on-one. I, I hate the phrase they'd gotten selfish. I just think they'd like they lost their balance, and you know whether it was because. Donovan's trying to prove he's an MVP candidate or Jordan's trying to prove he's a six man or just that that's what happens during the course of a season. I, I don't know, but I didn't really like the way either of them had been playing for a little while. So it's interesting that I heard that Quinn sat down with both of them. David, some of the uh, statistical categories, the Jazz lost last night assists, uh, shooting percentage rebounds. But uh, well, areas... stop Gordon Monson. Gordon Munson, you cannot do this I anymore. I, I, I know, I know. You cannot do this I, anymore. I, I'm I so understand. tired of this. I, right, I knew Gordon, you were. I knew. Gordon, oh, wait, 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 we're wait, not wait, doing I, this wait, anymore. It's the I knew, stupidest I knew you were, lies. We're okay, never quoting okay, shooting okay. percentage ever all right. again. All right, Please, all right. Gordon, I knew, last night's I know, the reason why. It's such I know, a stupid stat. I, I know, I know, I know you feel that way, but that wasn't my point. My main point is. No, we need that, to that, tell everybody about this, Gordon, so that nobody else steps into that terrible territory ever again. 
<laughs> okay. All right. I'm glad you made that clear. But my point is that the Jazz, the Jazz had nine more three-pointers than the uh, Celtics uh, as far as being made. And they, the shooting person, I mean, not the shooting person, sorry, you get the bottom of my mind. The, the, the free throw line, the Celtics shot four free throws. The Jazz shot 24, but they both were whistled for the same number of fouls, 18. Have you ever seen a game where oh my the gosh, disparity was that. that great? Yeah, eight, they I, both I, were I whistled didn't know for that. 18 fouls, and they both, but the Jazz shot 24 free throws. And I mean, I'm looking at the box score right now, um, so I can uh, – that's crazy. This is the reason you no, need to listen I, to the post game, David. We talked all about it. Why didn't I listen to the post game last night? Oh, because I listened to a Lindsey Vaughn podcast instead. Sorry. Um, so yes, I did. I did miss the post game last night. I almost always listen to the post game. You know, I call in every now and then. You do. You do. Um, that's fascinating. So what would explain that? They fouled us while we were shooting. We fouled them to stop fast breaks, and we committed maybe offensive fouls. Huh. I don't know what would cause that. That is strange. Even if even if uh, it was if, if it was even, you would expect maybe one team uh, or the Jazz to get into a penalty situation against them, so that the other team would go to the free throw line right. more. But yeah, right, right. Yeah, I'm trying to figure it out. Like I don't know. That's really interesting. Um, they don't go to the line. They they foul a lot defensively, so it's un- it's not surprising that they that we had a decent amount of free throws against them. That's a weakness for them. Okay, so right, here's my tirade. Let me just quickly go on my tirade. All right. The, the real complaint actually is to all the analytics people who acted like they were holier than thou and so damn smart that people like fight analytics. It's not analytics. It's just a better use of numbers for storytelling. So my thing that drives me nuts is that last night the Celtics shot 49% and the Jazz shot 47%. But the Celtics didn't shoot better than the Jazz last night because shots are now, the Jazz take over half their shots as as worth three points. Jazz took 43 shots last night worth three points and 37 shots last night worth two points. So field goal percentage is just a non-starter. It doesn't tell any story at all. It makes no sense. It doesn't, like, there's no value to it. The real number is equivalent field goal percentage, where if every shot was a two, what it would be, because that equalizes it, and the Jazz shot 59%, and the Celtics shot 54 That tells a story. True shooting percentage is even better, but we're, like, into something that now includes free throws, and it's just too hard for people to grasp. But the Jazz shot 65% true shooting percentage, and they shot 55 true shooting percentage because they never went to the free throw line. Like, that's the real – those are the numbers that actually matter because they actually tell a story. Everyone talks about, like and, – and maybe this is personal for me because I get criticized for using advanced analytics. I'm not using advanced analytics. I'm not trying to be crafty. I'm not trying to be tricky. I'm not trying to be poindexter and being smarter than anyone. I'm trying to use numbers on a broadcast that actually tell an accurate story. That's the point. Last night, the Jazz gave up 36% on the off. On the, they gave up 36% of the potential defensive rebounds to Boston. That's an outrageous number. That's a better number than saying they gave up a certain amount of offensive rebounds. Because if you miss 60 shots 
and you give up 16 offensive rebounds, it's not the same thing as missing only 42 shots and giving up rebounds like they did last night. So that's an outrageous number. We just need to educate people on what the baseline for these numbers are, and then they become much more important. But, like, another stupid phrase is you live and die by the three. The Celtics lived and died by the two last night. That's why they lost. They shot better than the Jazz, but they took, last night, the Celtics took 69 two-point shots. 69 two-point shots last night. We took 37. We won. Can't feel better now. Uh, David Locke is with us. David, we have a trade in the NBA coming down just moments ago. So I'm, I'm Trevor Ariza deal or something else? Uh, something else. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I'll read it to you. Houston is, according to Woj, Houston is trading P.J. Tucker, uh, Karutz. I never can pronounce that guy's yeah, name. Yeah, okay. Right. Uh, and a Bucks uh, and the Bucks 2022 first round pick uh, is going back to Milwaukee. So that's going to Milwaukee in exchange for DJ Augustine, DJ Wilson, and a 2023 unprotected first round pick. Houston also gets right, uh, right to swap its 2021 second round pick for Milwaukee's first round pick unless it falls one through nine. Got all that? All right, so. The Bucks just acquired P.J. Tucker Yep, is what matters. That's right? what matters, yep. And the Rockets get an unprotected first-round pick in 2023. I kind of think P.J. Tucker might be caught. Interesting. Why is that? Because I've watched him play recently, and I don't think he's very good anymore. <laughs> um. I might be wrong. And what does he do for the Bucks? Whose minutes does he take on the Bucks? Well, Torrey Craig now, it looks like he's going to be moved to the Suns. So maybe there's. Oh, that's a big deal. Yeah. Oh, wow. Now that makes, I mean, I don't know if that's a big deal, but that, like, I would like, like, I would love Torrey Craig on the Jazz right now. Torrey Craig is the piece we need. Like, break in case of emergency, wing defender who doesn't play for us, but we go in case we need him, we we can trade him. I mean, we can pull him off the uh, – we can play him. Well, he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't need to be a rotation player. But, like, boy, I'm surprised by this. Um, all right, let me think about this for a second. Obviously, I didn't know about it. So, oh, one, I think – one, I think that T.J. Tucker might be cooked. So, I mean, he's just, like, he's actually declined a decent amount in the last few years, I, I, at least in my opinion. Um, I love him. I think he's, like, one of the most enjoyable guys, and he's, like, a crazy dresser, and he's, like, the meanest guy on the court. And then after the games, I've talked to him probably 20 times, walking off at the same time because he's just so delightful. Maybe he was totally disengaged, but to me what kind of jumped out is that he seemed to be hard and dependent. Now, whether or not he can be Giannis dependent and so he's just fine, maybe, but that, that's my concern. What I'm surprised by here, and maybe I haven't watched the Bucks enough to know this, is that I would think that the Bucks would need Torrey Craig to play against James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant. 
Like, Torrey Craig, to me, could almost guard all three of those guys if needed. Now, he struggled in the playoffs against Donovan, and there is a tendency, like, on bad shooting wings to decide that they're great defenders, regardless of they are. But and, – and Craig's only – you know, he's, he's not a good shooter. He's a career 32% three-point shooter. But he's 6'7", 221. Like, I find him to be an impressive physical – player and if I were the Bucks, I maybe I'm wrong, I often am, but to me, just my quick take on this is I look at the Bucks playoff route, which in the first round very easily could have them playing or the second round have them playing Boston where they got Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and then in the next round very easily could have them playing against Brooklyn in the in the Eastern Conference Finals, I, I would think that I want to have Torrey Craig in case of emergency. And if I'm playing Philadelphia, he can guard Ben Simmons and he can guard Tobias Harris. So I, I need to understand the Bucks better than I do right now in their rotation and what they think they're lacking that they think P.J. Tucker is filling up. And I'm not aware of what that is but i'll watch them tonight because they played washington yesterday so that's my after i'm going to watch them play philly tonight because that's just a great game and then i'm going to watch them play washington later tonight um hmm i'm flustered i don't get it let's say just think they're playing too many guards they're going to play is he going to be their backup five like i want Giannis to play five I don't know. David, let me uh, run something by you. I'm interested in in finding out if you think uh, I'm crazy on this. Uh, Jake and I had this conversation earlier in the show, and it was all about that moment in the game last night when Donovan Mitchell was uh, whistled for a foul against Jalen Brown. And Jalen Brown, after Donovan got up, Jalen Brown patted him on the butt and Donovan reacted with a slap. I, I know that you saw it. Um, I thought that was an encouraging sign. Not that I ever questioned Donovan Mitchell's competitiveness in the past, but I I thought that showed me a little something that he he's all about business now. And not and I don't think he it wasn't that he wasn't about business before, but that that showed me that he doesn't care about anything but winning right now cares about his team, cares about winning, doesn't care about what other promising young players in the league think about him. He doesn't want to mess with that. He's all about winning games now. Am I reading too much into that, or what do you think? I think he's always been that way. Like the telling, the day Ron Boone decided he loved Donovan Mitchell was his rookie year in Philadelphia when jo- when Joel Embiid kind of punked him and he ran down the floor and, and, and you know, ran and pushed – Joel Embiid, and I think you saw that last night. Like, you know, Jalen Brown taps them. They're pretty close too, right? They both um, they both interviewed Vice President Harris together. Um, they are, I think, going to be the two, maybe with C.J. McCollum, the three modern leaders of the civil rights movement. Of, and I'm not saying inside the NBA. I'm saying in society. Like, I think that's, I think Jalen Brown's that impressive, and I think Donovan Mitchell's that impressive, and I think that's 
I think they're both willing to go out there that far, and so I think they have the guts to to lead our society into better places. Um, and so I think that when you, um, I, you know, so it, you know they have a relationship, and yet at the same time, Donovan wanted no part of it. It's kind of kind of awesome. Let me let me can I follow up with what you just said about Donovan being a leader in in these other realms. Uh, what what makes you think that, and how important will that be as far as his overall legacy goes? I know he's only twenty four years old, but, I mean, but uh, that's pretty that's pretty important, pretty significant that that he's willing to do that, and he wants. Oh, I to think do it's that. you know I think it's more important than basketball. I think he was raised by Nicole in a manner that he understands that. I think he understands what his power is. I think he. Um, I always joke with him that he's taking a pay cut by being in the NBA because the president of Morgan Stanley um, makes more money than NBA players, um, the vice, you know, or the CEO. And I think Donovan was capable of leading that type of major company. Um, I think Donovan has a unique upbringing in that he, from a social justice standpoint, that he was ra- he went to school in a predominantly white high school in both of his two high schools he went to and so i think he has and i think he has an ability to navigate multiple different environments um and i so i think and i think he's been exposed to multiple environments he's been exposed to the richest of the rich being in greenwich connecticut i think he understands so i think he understands the world i I just think he's a truly special person i mean i just think he's truly 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 special human what did he say? What did he say when you said that he, he could have been the president of like Morgan Stanley or something? What was his reaction to that? He kind of laughed a little bit. He's like, ah, I play basketball, but I mean, it's been a, I haven't talked to him in a year, so um, <laughs> I, you know, other than a text message or a DM here, just to congratulate him on something or when he donated money to the school, I haven't. Um, I have not really interacted and waved at him when we were both getting tested at the same time. That's been an extent of my interaction, so I don't want to overplay any. You know, I don't want to pretend like I'm in some communication with him, but I, I do think that's who he is. I've I've told him that before. Um, you know, he he had he had an interesting upbringing that he went by going to Greenwich Country Day. He he and I did. I remember walking back from the arena in Charlotte to our hotel together, and we talked about it. And he was like, I mean, I was sitting in dinner in these houses, thinking to myself, like, okay, I got to get this. Like, I got to figure out how to get this. And it's an interesting comment because if you just think about the the racial wealth gap in America and the, you know, constant racism in our economy that has, you know, not allowed for black home ownership or actual equity and things to be able to allow them to gain wealth. You have so many of our minority citizens who grow up in an environment where they don't see that wealth other than like on television. Donovan grew up in a unique environment where you talk about a role model. Donovan literally was like in the house of Forbes 500 people, as he said, you know, and so he's, he's seeing it, touching it, feeling it, interacting with it. That makes it a much more tangible thing for him to go get than the kid who's growing up in the inner city of Atlanta. Like, I mean, if we use Derek favors as an example, just who's a great kid and obviously fabulous person and amazingly talented in his own right. But like, he tells the story of playing basketball on the streets of inner city Atlanta and the hoops were milk crates because they couldn't afford a basket, right? Like that's a different existence 
and then what you think is tangibly possible for you. This is this is what we have to do in society. This is what the scholarship program that Ryan Smith is doing at the back end where that kid's gotten far enough along that they're now close to touch it. Now we got to go to the front end of this and how do we touch these kids on the front end and and make it going. We got a lot of things we got to deal with and today's probably not the day for me to start on one of these tangents cuz I got some thoughts about what's going on right now and if we do not address I'm going to keep this quiet cuz I'd like to keep a job. And the fact that I think I lose my job for saying what I really want to say, they pisses the crap out of me. But we need to address in this country what the true threats to our democracy and our country are and stop burying our head about it. David, have you ever thought about running for office yourself? No, I promised my wife I wouldn't do it when we got married. Well, on that note, David, we, we do appreciate you dropping by the show. As always, thanks for the info, and we'll see you at the arena tomorrow night. Back to you. David Locke, his weekly appearance brought to you by our friends at the Murdoch Auto Group, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.